1970, Hollywood released the film Torah, 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 which is a biographical account of Pearl Harbor and what happened in those events. The most famous line from that movie was uttered by the Japanese Admiral Yamamoto, and this is what he said. In uh, sort of reflecting on Pearl Harbor Day, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with terrible resolve. This past week, America celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day, which was one of the signature turning point events in World War II. But D-Day would not have been possible without what had happened at Pearl Harbor. And whether or not the Japanese admiral ever said those words, the movie portrayed him as saying them, whether or not he ever said those words, there is truth to the fact that before uh, Pearl Harbor, America was a sleeping giant in the sense that while we were engaged in providing munitions and support to the Allies, we were not fully awake uh, to the evil uh, that was present in the world and were not fully awake to our responsibilities and to our abilities to do something about it. By the time D-Day rolled around, America was engaged, awake, and a part of what was going on. But the power of that quote, and again, we don't know if he actually said those words, but the truth of the matter is, is that America was a sleeping giant. And as far as I can tell, we use that phrase to wake the sleeping giant in all sorts of uh, areas. We use it sometimes in sports. I think about the Michigan basketball team a few years ago that uh, near plane crash sort of woke them up to their sort of abilities. They went on to win the Big Ten Championship. Uh, I think about uh, even a few more years before that, Microsoft, a big uh, uh, corporation, was said to be asleep to the internet, meaning that they had sort of not designed their business and taken advantage of all of their resources uh, to uh, apply to the internet. I think about even the Me Too movement, a kind of a political movement that has tapped into some pent-up frustration with how often women are treated poorly by men. All of those things are this idea of waking a sleeping giant, of rousing someone who has power or ability or influence and getting them fully awake and engaged with what's going on. It's interesting that we use that phrase a lot. Best I can tell, it comes from the movie. Uh, that phrase is how it got introduced into the English language to wake a sleeping giant. It's used so often today because it's a useful idea. The idea that someone or something could have power, energy, resources, ability, but be asleep at the wheel. Interestingly, it's also a useful idea for some scriptural thoughts about waking sleeping giants. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to think about that idea of becoming awake as it applies, first of all, to God and then to us. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 51. 
If you need to borrow a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you. And in the church Bibles, Isaiah 51 is page 598. 598. To set the context... Isaiah is writing into or speaking into a time in which the nation of Judah uh, is surrounded by enemies, suffering greatly, going through difficult things. And much of Isaiah is God's affirmation of his power and his love and his coming salvation. It also, in Isaiah, talks about Isaiah, the, the, the nation's sin and their shortcomings. But despite their sins and ours, God remains committed to our salvation and our rescue. And in Isaiah 51, the first eight verses are simply God talking about the fact that uh, his power and his grace are going to be used for our benefit. Look at just a couple of verses to give you an idea. Verses 4 and 5. This is God speaking. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. Wow. This is a great promise. This is good news. God is going to do these things. But the part in Isaiah 51 I want us to focus on is verses 9 and 10. Now what 9 and 10 are, are the human response to these promises from God. And I want you to look very carefully at what the Spirit writes for us in verses 9 and 10 as to how humans can respond to the promises of God. Look at the words. Awake. Awake, arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. Awake, as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? Now what's being referenced here is the exodus from Egypt. And the term Rahab is a poetic term for Pharaoh. It has nothing to do with the woman in Joshua chapter 2 from the city of Jericho. It's just a poetic way of referring to Pharaoh. And what's being remembered here is that God showed his mighty arm at the time of the exodus and rescued his people out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea to the promised land and the response to the fact that God wants to show his arm again is to say, yes, yes, Lord, come and do these things. Come and do these mighty acts. Now, the crazy thing is, do you see the language? Awake, awake. Awake, arm of the Lord. The human response back to God is, yes, it's about time. It's time for you to do something. And here, it's crazy. I know I, you're going to feel the same way about this, the same way I felt when I looked at it. Like, well, wait a second. You can't say that to God. 
You can't respond to God, wake up. So let me be very, very careful here. God is not asleep. The Bible's very clear. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. In that sense, he's not a sleeping giant. He is always fully engaged, always living up to his potential, always using his power and his glory for the best ends possible. That's who he is. Everybody clear on that? Nod your head so that we can be good with that. Okay? (laughs) Having said that, from our point of view, there are times where it feels like God is asleep at the wheel. From our point of view, it feels like, God, you've got all this power. You've got all this wisdom. You're in control of all things. I'm not asking for much. All I'm asking is you simply say the word. You could fix this like that. Have you felt that way? This is what this means, to cry out to the Lord. Lord, rise up. Lord, look what's happening. Lord, awake. He's not asleep. But from our point of view, it feels like he is. It's like the words of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Have you had this experience? Have you paged through the Bible and thought, wow, look at all these crazy things that happened. Look at the Red Sea parting and look at the walls of Jericho falling down. Look at Jesus healing people and raising people from the dead. And have you ever thought to yourself, Lord, do some of that now. Have you felt that way? I have Habakkuk felt that way. Lord, wake up. You seem to be fully engaged in Exodus. You seem to be fully engaged when Jesus was here. Why not now, Lord? Why not do something big, something glorious, something majestic, whether in our nation or in this world or just in our church or even just in my life, God, if you would please just wake up. You look around the church. And you hear stories of amazing testimonies. People saying, God spoke to me. God came and found me. And some of us want to say, Lord, what about me? Lord, do something like that in my life. We tell stories about how God showed up in our grandparents' life and did something fantastic. And in our heart of hearts, we're saying, God, do that same thing for my kids. You showed yourself in previous generations. What about now? The psalmist says something similar in Psalm chapter 44. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Have you felt this way? I have. I've heard the Lord make promises to me about this church, about my family, about my own life, and I say to him, fantastic. But at some point, when, Lord, when are you going to do these things? 
rise up, Lord. You said it wasn't going to be like this, but it's like this. God, where are you? And in all holy reverence, as much as I can muster, there are times in which I want to grab hold of him and say, are you not paying attention? Why not now, Lord? Why not do something? You can fix this if you would just speak, if you would act, if you would move. Now, we don't say those kinds of things because our brain says, well, there's another place in Psalms that says God never sleeps or slumbers, which is true. And our brain says, you can't talk to God that way, which is true. But the Spirit says, here are words to express the longings of your heart. Despite all that intellectual head knowledge and all that good theology, there are times that our heart wants to cry out to God, God, are you asleep? God, are you ignoring me? God, are you somewhere else? Do you not care? And the thing I love about Isaiah 51 and Habakkuk 3 and Psalm 44 is that these are spirit-inspired words that we can say to God. Now, I'm going to tell you, even standing up here, it feels a little weird. The first time you tell God to wake up, it's going to feel awkward. <laughs> This is the good news, is that the Spirit gave words to the deep longings of our heart. We may as well not lie and say they're not there. All of us feel, God, you have the power. You have the wisdom. You have the love. Get up and please, with all reverence, please come help. Please do something. Now, Lord, now is the time to act. And so what I want you to understand that Isaiah 51 is an invitation to speak God's words to him. He wrote these. He knows what's going on in your heart. You say, well, what will happen if I do that? Well, it could end up like Psalm 44. When you have a chance and you go look at Psalm 44, you'll find that the verses that I just read you are the end of the psalm. And you may get done crying out for the Lord to wake up and nothing will happen. It may turn out like Habakkuk 3. Where Habakkuk cries out for the Lord to do something in our days and then he ends his book this way. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. It may be that when you're done crying out for God to wake up, he somehow through his spirit fills you with joy. And you look around and go, well, nothing changed. There's no fruit on the vines. There's no sheep in the pen, but somehow, somehow the Lord created in me joy. And somehow he's allowed me to see, you know what? I'm still standing here. The Lord has given me strength. Or it may turn out like it does in Isaiah 51. Look with me in verse 11. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. 
Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass? That you forget the Lord your maker? who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. This is the song, I'm chosen, not forsaken. God's saying, have you forgotten who you are? For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread, for I am the Lord your God. I stir up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, who say to Zion, you are my people. When you cry out to the Lord, Lord, wake up. Lord, rouse yourself. Lord, come and do something. You may hear God say back to you, don't be afraid, I will. Don't be afraid, you are mine. Don't be afraid, I see you. Don't be afraid, I'm coming to help you. So for some of us here this morning, what I want you to take away from this sermon and these passages is the fact that God has invited you today to give words to the longing and the cries of your heart. If you're in the midst of suffering, if you're in the midst of struggle, if you're holding tenaciously onto promises, but God doesn't seem to be fulfilling them, I want you to hear God giving you permission to speak these words to him and to cry out to him, wake up, Lord, rouse yourself, come and help. There's another application of the idea of waking the sleeping giant in Isaiah 51 and 52, but this applies not to God, but to us. Keep going, verse 17. This is now God speaking to us. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. Jump down to chapter 52, verse one. Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit in throne, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. The second truth that's present in Isaiah 51 and 52 is that we too are sleeping giants. That as hard as it may be to realize that because God has given us his spirit, because God has redeemed us by the blood of his son, because God has given us his word, because God has given us access to him in prayer, because God has given us spiritual gifts, because God has given us energy and talent and resources, we too have things that we can and should be doing that Satan is scared. One day we're going to wake up. 
One day we're going to wake up and realize there is a kingdom all around us and that Jesus is Lord and that he's on our side. And one day we're going to realize, look what God can and will do through us. When I was younger, probably 18 or 19, I remember going to an end times prophecy conference here in Grand Rapids. I don't remember what church it was at. Uh, It was a good Bible church. And for those of you who may remember, you don't hear about them as much anymore these days. But an end times prophecy conference tended to be a popular sort of thing. And what you would do is you would get together and it was good Bible teaching. But what you tended to do was talk about all the different signs that Jesus was returning soon. And there's usually some discussion about credit cards and 666 numbers and banks and, you know, world powers. And And I remember sitting in that prophecy conference at like 18 or 19 years old, and I had gone with my dad, and I think he probably invited me, or I'm not sure how we got there, but the two of us were sitting there, and they're going through all these things about why Jesus probably couldn't have returned or wouldn't have returned like 100 years ago, but now all this stuff is lined up. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, that's a pretty compelling case. And I remember the reason why we do this, and they're fine, is they're supposed to fill you with hope and encouragement. Hey, Jesus is coming, look. It did not fill me with hope and encouragement. (laughs) You know what it filled me with? Dread. Why? Because I knew in my heart I was asleep. Now I was a Christian. And I knew very clearly I was going to go to heaven. The Lord had done something really powerful to set me free from a whole long slew of doubts that I had had growing up. That was God's mercy and grace. I wasn't questioning my salvation. But I knew. Just like, you know how you turn through the Bible and you go, wow, there's the the Red Sea and there's the walls of Jericho and there's Lazarus raised from the dead. And you're like, God, you could do some of that stuff today. God can also turn through the Bible and go, look at Abraham and look at Sarah and look at Ruth and look at David and look at Elizabeth and look at Paul and look at Lydia and say, you could do some of that too. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I was asleep, asleep as a Christian. Do you know that feeling? Some of us here today need to hear God saying to us, wake up, wake up. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Do this, love God and love others, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. A few months ago, I turned 47 years old. I'm very grateful to the Lord that he did wake me up, that where I was as an 18 or 19-year-old is not where I am today. Now, the admonition from Romans 13 is you got to stay awake. You can't go back to sleep. But 47, at some point, I sort of looked back and thought, huh, this is my life. And I'm very grateful for it. But I had the realization, you've had it, many of you have had it too. This is it. You get one life. Like I'm not going back to redo high school again. It can't happen. I'm not going back to redo college. I can't be a uh, newly married person again. I can't have little babies again. Like this this is my life. This is the career God's called me to. These are the things. I'm not going to get it. The hair is not going to grow back. Like those things aren't going to happen. It's a sobering realization. You and I have one shot, one life. 
And maybe like me, you were, you just graduated from high school and you're like, to be honest, yes, I was asleep. Now, I don't mean you didn't study. I don't mean, maybe you didn't do that either. But I'm talking about in your faith. I'm talking about with the kingdom. I'm talking about the fact that God gave you one life and said, what are you going to do with that life? And maybe you spent your high school years just living for yourself. And God brought you here this morning to say, wake up. You're asleep. Maybe you've just finished through college and you're like, you know what? This is great. I'm getting my first job and I'm all excited about all those kinds of things. But you were asleep through college. You didn't engage. You didn't realize God's kingdom has something to do with where you go to school. God has something for you to do while you're at school, not just get good grades, which is all important stuff, and you can serve the Lord doing that. Maybe the Lord brought you here this morning to say, you're not going to get another shot at this. Wake up. Maybe you just retired from your job. And to be honest, you slept walked your way through that whole career. I'm not saying you didn't earn money. I'm not saying you didn't have a good job. I'm not saying you didn't serve the Lord at church, at your work. I'm not saying that you didn't use some of your gifts. But you know in your heart of hearts you've been sleepwalking through this. Maybe you used to be awake and you've fallen asleep. And God's brought you here this morning to say to you, wake up. This is your chance. Do you not know? You have the Spirit of God, that same Spirit who did all this stuff in these people's lives up here. That Spirit lives in you. Look over at verse 7, chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Is it not beautiful to see what's going on? Is it not beautiful to see how God has been reaching into countries all over the world, leading people to faith? But the point to you and to me, wake up to this. God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus is Lord. There is something more going on in this world than just your high school experience or just your college experience or just your job or just your family or just this city or just this country or even just this world. God has an eternal kingdom and he has given you his spirit, very God of very God, to dwell within you. He has redeemed you from captivity and way too many of us are simply living in enslavement to sin and God is saying to us, wake up you are sleepwalking your way through life there's not another chance this is your life wake up and he's not saying that to hurt you i'm telling you at 47 i am far far more pleased with my life than i was at 18 And at 18 or 19, the world would tell you, oh no, that's the time of joy because you got all the future in front of you. I'm telling you, when you realize your purpose in God's kingdom, whatever it may be at your job, in your family, in what you're doing, when you begin to tap into the power of that spirit to do amazing things, that's where true joy is at. And so some of us here this morning need to hear God saying to us, wake up. So I got a question for you. Why did God bring you here to Calvary Church this morning to hear Isaiah 51 and 52? 
Option number one. He brought you here this morning because you're in the midst of some really difficult suffering. You're going through a really hard season. It feels like God is showing up for everybody else, but not for you. He brought you here this morning to give words to the cries of your heart. And what I want God to do for you is to invite you to say, speak those words to me. Call on me to wake up. Call on me to rouse myself. He's not asleep, please, he is not asleep. He is not underutilizing his potential. But if from your point of view or from my point of view it feels that way, please recognize these are Holy Spirit-inspired words that allow you and I to say to God, God, please, please come and do something. Please act. And I'm going to ask you, is that the case that you're in? Did God bring you here this morning because he says, okay, I want you to pray those words to me. And whether nothing seems to change immediately like in Psalm 44, or God fills you with joy in the midst of the suffering like Habakkuk 3, or the Lord speaks his words into your heart in such a way that you feel like you belong to him like in Isaiah 51, the invitation is, cry out to me. Are you here for that reason? Or did God invite you here this morning to tell you to wake up? Does he look at you and is his heart broken for you? Is he seeing that this was life and you're missing it? It's happening and you're missing it. High school's almost over. College is almost over. Your job is almost done. Your kids are almost raised. Your life is almost ended. Whatever it may be, is he looking at you and saying, look, if you only have one more day, why not spend it awake? Why not spend it awake to his kingdom? Why not spend it awake? Who wants to feel that, oh, if Jesus comes back, that's a bad thing? I know that feeling. Who wants to live that way? Did God invite you here this morning to say, wake up? Look, if you've been asleep the whole time, why not finish the last day well? And the question I have for you is, did God, out of his kindness, invite you here today to say, it's time to wake up? You have everything you need. So in just a minute, I'm going to close this in prayer. And while I'm talking, while I get ready to pray, just think, it's probably one of those two reasons he brought you here this morning. Either he wants you to say to him, Lord, in all reverence, please wake up. Or he's saying to you, it's time to get up and get going. I'm going to pray for us that his spirit would give us discernment. Father, we thank you that you have arranged for us to be here today. Lord, here we are 1,986 years after Pentecost, and your spirit is doing and has done unbelievable things around the world. God, I pray that he would do that today at Calvary Church in our hearts. I pray that somebody here who's been asleep would wake up. I pray that they would know the joy, uh, Lord God, of serving in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that those who are here who are awake would stay awake. God, I ask for those who are here who are suffering and their minds tell them, don't you dare utter those words to God. He'll be angry with you. Lord, would you tell them these are your words? 
And we're simply praying back to you what you've taught us to pray. And so on their behalf, Lord, I say, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? Rise up, Lord. Lord, you have all of the power. Lord, you can bring yourself glory in their situation, in my situation, in this church. Why not today, Lord? Why not come and do something and show your mighty power and your mighty glory? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Forgive us, God, for the ways in which we have been sleepwalking through life. And Lord, may you rouse in us a desire to pray and a desire to act. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.